All right, not a lot of time to catch our breath. Um, that was a great presentation, Mark. I want to encourage you, and it looks like we're going to have some time for prayer because I feel, I mean, I just felt moved to pray for the needs in Japan, but I, I guess we'll have time for that in a little bit. But, you know, that it's one of the challenges when we come to these conferences and hear about the great needs around the world and you know, we, we know that our Father, his heart beats for the gospel, beats for missions. So I really appreciated the challenge of, of Japan and the need to be praying for God to do a mighty work in that country. Um, and Mexico has about the same population, but a much bigger land space also. And Mexico City is not quite as big anymore as I think Tokyo has overtaken it. So I will try to get through um, a little bit about what we're doing in Mexico. I shared some earlier, but I'll share some more about my family. My wife, Dawn, of, we've been married for 30 years. She, we, we, I, I joined Mission of the World single. I was single for a year, and then, she, and then we got married, and we went to Mexico together. So I had to convince her to, uh, she, wa- she was, interested in missions before she felt called to missions when she was 11 years old but she wasn't sure she was called to Mexico so (laughs) I had to convince her on that part and here's my family my two boys um, David and Jonathan and then my daughter Hannah in the middle that I shared about a little bit ago and in the last year my two boys have gotten married and so this is in, actually in Lancaster, which I was just there last week, um, visiting a supporting church there. But my son in the middle, David Jr., he just got married in May, and then his wife's Emily. And then my other son, Jonathan, on the left, got married on December 1st of last year. And his wife is half Puerto Rican. So she was born in the U.S., though. But Jonathan was born in Mexico. So... Looking at Mexico, Mission of the World has a presence in these different cities, um, expanding some to other places. Um, There is a national Presbyterian church in Mexico, you know, much different than like what we just heard. There's a much greater presence of the church in Mexico. The thing is, in um, Mexico, 97% of the Reformed churches are south of Mexico City. And so in the north, we have very few churches, especially Reformed churches. And so our, our missionaries are focused more in, that, in those areas because we have, we have a greater need there for churches. And it's been a, kind of a harder ground to uh, see the church grow. <laughs> And so here's Baja, California. Some of you maybe have done vacations in Cabo San Lucas. And uh, so we have a missionary in La Paz and a new church plant that we're just starting. They just started their first services in September, and they have about 33 people or so that are coming, um, which is pretty good considering they're just getting going. And then we're, well, I have, a, I think, another map of more of the northern part of Baja, California. Actually, Baja, California, the peninsula is divided up into two states. So there's Baja, California, Sur, southern Baja, California, which is where La Paz. La Paz is the capital. 
and then nor northern Baja California is just called Baja California. And the major population centers in northern Baja California are Mexicali or Mexicali, where we have two church plants um, that we're working on, one that's just getting going. We have a church planter there. I've been raising money for his church plant. His name's Federico. And then we have a number of church plants in Tijuana and, um, and Rosarito, which is just south. We have one um, new church plant that's just starting now. Um, I was just meeting with the church planner this week, and he's wanting to plant the church against, it's called Playas, which means beaches. So it's right against the uh, ocean there, and the, or the fence. It's kind of an interesting area because you see the fence going into the Pacific Ocean. And then we have a church plant in Ensenada, and that church plant is, um, well, I have some pictures later I can show you that some of the church planters. So in, since we've moved to um, Baja, California, to the area we're living in now, we've been able to plant 11 churches. Now, not all of those are fully, some of them are in process, so I don't want to be too evangelistic, as they say, but uh, we have we we are in process at one stage or another with the uh, with these church plants, and we've also helped some other churches be able to expand their ministries. And then we've done we do um, evaluating of church planters, like an ass assessment, and we do training. Uh, that comes out of, well, we have a couple different kinds of training. Some of it's connected with city to city. It's called the incubator for church planters. We have coaching training, so we do a lot of facilitating and training in Mexico. I wanted to highlight um, some of our church planters, and one of the people I wanted to highlight, some of my favorite church planters are Victor and Sol Bravo. We helped them start a church about four years ago, and they're bivocational. He's a landscaper, and he's a lot of fun. I like putting that picture there with him with his big laugh because we always laugh a lot and have a lot of fun. And his wife is a, she has an undergrad in psychology and a master's in education. And they're working in a urban poor area, which, you know, is a lot poorer than I guess then when we say that in the states and so that in that area there's a lot of need and one of the th reasons I wanted to highlight this church is because sometimes when we think about church planting it's like I don't know a little it's hard to get our head around what that means for a community but this church is reaching out in the community they're being a light in the community and they're seeing lives changed and they're making a difference. So I have a short video. It's in Spanish with um, subtitles. Unfortunately, the subtitles aren't huge. So hopefully you can read it okay. So here we go. Estamos en un lugar donde hay demasiada migración. Eh, son personas que no se siente que pertenecen a la ciudad entonces eso repercute en que los niños 
no los mandan a la escuela, son niños que andan afuera, empiezan a ver cosas que no tienen que ver y empiezan a participar de ellas. Por eso siempre estamos tratando de, de hacer cosas para los niños, estar al pendiente de los niños. Mi nombre es Olea Carola Villegas, nosotros somos de la iglesia El Gran Yo Soy. Cuando esta casa hogar comenzaba, comenzaron con tres niños. Esos niños llegaron a este lugar porque no, nadie les podía atender. Cuando ellos regresan a su casa con el familiar que los había enviado a este lugar, pudieron ver el cambio, la transformación que se podía ver de un niño de antes y ahora que ya lo llevaban. Yo estudié psicología, tengo una maestría en educación y siempre me he dedicado a los niños. Yo me empiezo a dar cuenta que todo lo que yo había aprendido antes era para llegar al momento que estoy ahora, para poder ayudar a los niños. Y yo decía, ¿qué voy a hacer? ¿Qué voy a hacer? Pues si toda la vida de lo que yo me acuerdo, siempre trabajaba en escuelas. Pues Dios tenía preparado todo. Los niños de la comunidad son con los que trabajo, me vine a la casa hogar, pues aquí hay más niños, entonces hemos compaginado bien el ministerio y me hace sentir muy, muy útil. Yo ya no trabajo en el secular, dejé mi trabajo hace un año y no he extrañado mi trabajo. Es sorprendente que cuando tú ya te acercas a un niño, haces la tarea con él, le empiezas a dar un ambiente de paz, el niño empieza a subir sus calificaciones. Nosotros conocimos a Raúl y a Manuel. Ellos llegaron aquí cuando tenían tres y dos años. Ellos llegaron aquí porque su papá andaba en adicción, en drogas y alcohol. Y el señor se dedicaba a vender fruta en los cruceros, en la calle. Y los niños estaban pequeños, los metía al carro y él les decía, espérense, yo voy a ir a vender mi fruta. Manuel abrió la puerta del carro y se salió corriendo. Y en eso venía una patrulla y casi lo atropella. Entonces la patrulla le dijo, ¿qué estás haciendo con estos niños aquí? Estos niños no pueden estar aquí, te los voy a quitar y los voy a llevar a, a, a DIF. Entonces él vino, muy asustado vino, dijo, ¿pueden tener a mis hijos aquí? Le dijimos, no hay lugar, no, por favor, déjenmelos porque me los va a quitar el gobierno. Pasamos a trabajar con él en la escuela para padres y yo le decía, nosotros somos pastores de una iglesia. Usted está congregando y dice, no, ya no estoy congregando. Le dije, es importante que usted congregue. Al final aceptó ir a una reunión en una iglesia que está eh, cerca de la casa hogar y empezó a hacer un cambio. Ya no lo veíamos tan, tan demacrado, tan flaco. Y él empezó, él empezó a hacer un cambio también en su vida. Eh, comenzó a dejar de drogarse, consiguió un buen trabajo. Empezó a vivir ya solo, rentó. Eh, y fue la manera en como, como pudimos nosotros conocer la vida de Raúl, poderlo llevar a los pies de Cristo, transformar todo lo que había en él y poder ahora ver un hombre, un hombre de Dios y que está listo para llevarse a sus niños. Es un trabajo arduo, es un trabajo pesado, pero cuando ves el fruto dices, valió la pena. There's the life and work of um, the church there. So I wanted to highlight a little bit more about Victor and Sol and just, you know, he's a landscaper, but he doesn't.
make a real lot of money. He doesn't, he doesn't have a big income. And she, like she said, is an educator. She was working in the public school system. But she just felt like she wanted to be able to minister more in the community. So she stopped working and is basically volunteering, you know, at the church. I mean, she's the pastor's wife, but volunteering and tutoring these children. And a lot of them come. They're not all involved in the church. They're children in the community coming from poor families. They come malnourished. They have spots on their mouth, white spots and stuff from not eating it well enough, and uh, they give them something to eat. They have, they've been able to get some sponsors to help with that. And then they're, she's tutoring them, and they're coming with poor grades. They're failing in school, and she helps them, and their grades are coming up. And so they're just being a wonderful testimony and witness in this community in Rosarito. And that's one example of some of the churches that we've been able to help start and so here's uh, Soul tutoring the children and Victor and Soul. We, ha- we did have a church come down from this area and visited, and I was able to introduce them. Actually, I took these pictures when we were down there with them, and they, they were really encouraged to see what the Lord was doing. And we have some other churches that are doing similar things, like this church, my wife praying with them. A few of the other churches, I mentioned some other churches that we're getting ready to start. This is Davies and Luce, and so I've been raising funds. This, this is going to be a different model. So we have some models where we have bivocational church planners. This pastor has been to a seminary, so he's um, educated, and he's going to be trying to reach more professional people in, in Playas, which is right near the the border and where the ocean comes to the where the beach area is and they're a great young couple and so we need prayer for them as we're working on this church plant this is Federico and his family and Blanca they're in Mexicali which is very hot not a very pleasant place to live I don't think but it's the capital of Baja California in the north and so it's an important city and he's also been, he just graduated from seminary, and he's getting ready to start a church plant there. They're already doing evangelism and those type of things now. And then uh, Petri and Yudi are planning a church in Ensenada. They're about two years into the church plant, and he's an excellent teacher. He is bivocational. He's educated, but he's, he's able to reach more professional because of his education. And he's a very good teacher, um, not quite as good of an evangelist. So the church is growing slowly, but they are growing and they are reaching out. And so we're praying for continued growth there. I was able to help um, baptize a number of their people. I think we had like 16 or 18 people. Um, but since he's not ordained, I went down and helped them do the baptisms and, and lead the Lord's Supper. So this is one of the families there, and it was just a wonderful time to be able to go there and encourage them in that way. And here's some of the people in the congregation. Um, I wanted to highlight this church plant in Mexicali. It's another church plant we did, and this is a picture of my daughter, Hannah, when she graduated from high school. She's the one that moved to heaven 
um, three years ago. And so after she died, I just felt um, I really wanted to do something to honor her memory. So we um, decided to raise some money and, and build a church and help plant a church in a community in Mexicali. So this is the pastor, Mede and Edna. And uh, you can see us there building the church. And we're, we're able to do that somewhat quickly. And it's not super expensive, especially compared to what things cost in Tokyo or L.A. or San Diego. You know, we, it, it's about $25,000 for us to, you know, be able to build the church there. Include, yeah, well, the land's a little bit more, but not a lot more. So we, we, we were able to give a down payment on the land, and then the church pays on the land. And so um, with this particular church, we invited um, our family, like my bo- two boys came, and they weren't married yet, so their girlfriends came, and a lot of other friends, people that knew our daughter came. It was just a real special time. And this church just celebrated the one-year anniversary in May. And so we've been involved in encouraging um, the pastors. And one of the important roles that I feel is, is mentoring and coaching the pastors. They need a lot of encouragement because it's not an easy work doing the church planting. Um, I wanted to mention, I mentioned earlier a little bit about Cuba and how the Lord's been opening up some doors for us a few years ago in Cuba. Um, you may know where Cuba is, but just in case you don't, you know, Cuba is not a very big island, but it's the, it's the biggest island in the Caribbean. And um, it's similar to when you drive from San Diego to Tijuana, you have that same, maybe even a more dramatic experience flying from Miami to Cuba. And I always tell people that are um, maybe on the more liberal side, if you believe in socialism, go visit Cuba and live there <laughs> for a little while, but not as a tourist, and it might change your mind. Um, and here's some of the um, cities a closer up of Cuba. Most of the times I've been, I've gone to Havana, which is the capital but we do have a lot of church planners that we're working with in cities um, more in the south, central, and other parts of Cuba. And um, so there we've been able to help a plant a couple churches, and we've also been involved in coaching training. That's actually how I first got involved. We were doing coaching training in Mexico, and the guy that was helping me do the coaching training, actually, I, I met him through Gary Watanabe. You mentioned Gary Watanabe. Actually, Gary came out that, that time we did that, and uh, one of our friends with Mission World. And he suggested that I go to Cuba with him because he was training people in coaching, gospel coaching, they call it, in Cuba. So we went there, and um, that kind of opened the door, and it really changed my life, and we've been able to take Mexicans with us, so it helps them to get involved in missions. And one of the interesting things for me is I've seen the Mexicans go into Cuba as they say, you know, I mean, Americans come to Mexico and they say, oh, it's so poor here, you guys don't have anything and all this stuff. 
But then when they go to Cuba, they kind of feel that way when they see, you know, how the Cubans live. So it's been a really good uh, partnership and relationship as we've been able to get some of our pastors into Cuba. And so here I was just in September doing some training. And um, like I said, the Cubans, the Lord's doing amazing things there, but they struggle so much because of the embargo. Just recently, um, I don't know if you saw in the news, but they're, they're only allowing flights now into Havana. So what that does, I mean, they, we closed down the embassy uh, and Canada closed down the embassy. What that does is it limits the amount of dollars or money, foreign money, coming into Cuba, which makes it um, even worse than it already was. The other problem is with everything that's going on in Venezuela, they're getting less oil. So they're having a petroleum crisis in Cuba, and it makes it hard for them to get around. I mean, they don't have the best transportation to start with, you know. So um, one of my friends told me, one of the pastors, that he was needing to go 20 kilometers, which is just about, um, 12 miles, I think, and it took him three hours. He had to wait three hours to get to find a bus to go there. And these aren't very nice buses. There, I rode on one of them, and you feel like you're. It's a prison bus because the there aren't the windows are bars. There's bars on the windows. When you look at at it from the outside, I always wondered what was in there, but it's just a very austere type bus the seats some of them are just iron there's not nothing but iron on the seats they do have some plastic seats and people a lot of times are having to stand for hours at a time you know like sardines going from one place to another and it it breaks my heart you know when i'm there and when i and when i see them and see what they're going through and suffering through. And one of the last times I was with them, I talked to them about the, you know, our treasure, which is in heaven, and how God tells us not to put our treasure on earth. And, um, and I was, we just connected, you know, and it ministered to them in a great way. And, and one of the things that I've seen that God has used I mean, there's so much I don't understand about life and about my own life, but because of some of the, only, my, the things that I've been through, some of the things that I've suffered, um, they, they wonder, well, how did you live through that? How have you maintained, how have you been able to continue in ministry after you're losing your daughter and these things? So it, the Lord used that to allow me to minister to them at a deeper level. That's been very special for us, and I think in some ways a legacy that my daughter has left. This is uh, some of the transportation I'm mentioning, you know, even a little horse there, horse-drawn cart, and then this is the bus that I was talking about. You can see the bars there, and then they have the old cars, you know, that Cuba's kind of famous for. Not all the cars are so old, but they do have the old cars. This is one of the families um, that we've gotten very close to. They call us um, mom and dad, Luis and Mai. And, and they're some of the most committed Christians I've ever met in my life. And I've been around quite a bit, and I've been able to travel to a lot of places. 
but I have met very few people that have, are as committed and have suffered as much as my Cuban friends. And they shared with me a story that when Don, they shared it the first time with Don and me, it just kind of brought us to tears because they felt like the Lord wanted them to um, reach into a community in Cuba, but it was a ways away, and they had to walk. It was like a 20-kilometer walk each day, and Cuba is very hot. It's like Florida, very hot, a lot of sun, and they didn't have a sunscreen, so Mai got sunspots on her legs that still bother her to this day. They believed that the Lord wanted them to minister in this community. So they were going, they were knocking door to door and saying, are you, you know, would you be interested in a Bible study or in hearing about learning more about Christ? And everybody was saying no. And, you know, they're walking back and forth day after day and they get to the last home and the lady had two children that were in wheelchairs, two, two daughters in wheelchairs. And this lady she was angry at God, and she said she didn't want anything to do with God because she felt angry that her kids were invalids and in, in wheelchairs. But the two daughters overheard her, overheard them, and they said that they were interested. And that's how they were able to um, get the Bible study started. And there's, there's just so many testimonies, you know. That's one of the, every time I go to Cuba, I come back, thinking, man, God is working. God is alive. <laughs> He's working in amazing ways in, in Cuba. And we don't have time to tell all the stories, but I showed you earlier the church. I mean, when they pray, you know, this is a cement floor, and they get down on their knees, and um, it's just impressive to see how the Lord is working and some of the other families that we're connected with. Yanni is about our daughter's age. And the first time Don and I went together to Cuba, um, it, was just, it was less than two months after our daughter had moved to heaven. And we just, I don't know, we didn't know what to do, you know. We just felt like we needed to not stay home and keep active. And we went there, and when Don saw Yanni, she started crying because our daughter was interested in ministry, and we could kind of see her in ministry in the future. And it was a little bit awkward for Yanni, but then we, you know, we explained what was going on and why. And, uh, and we just really became very close. We've become very close to them. And that sometimes they'll call us using WhatsApp and things like that, using the video for WhatsApp. So here's their, here's the little church. Most of their churches are house churches, which I believe is part of the reason the church is growing. One of the things, I, re- I mean, there's different factors that causes church movement. Part of it, we see it a lot of times when there's persecution, but, there, but if you look at Eastern Europe, it hasn't always happened. Like in the Czech Republic, which was also a persecuted country, there's m- more people believe in UFOs than believe in God in the Czech Republic. So part of it depends on what was going on there before um, the persecution came in. You know what? If there were seeds there, and so we see that w- there were seeds in Cuba, and now the church is growing, but they're still undergoing a lot of persecution. Um, this is a church we helped plant. Um, 
It only cost a thousand dollars, I think, to buy this house. Now, not all of them are that any are, are that cheap, but we helped raise some money so we can start this church with uh, Mario's brother Jorge. And here's a couple other church planners. I I wanted to mention our our needs. Of course, all our all missionaries. We've got to talk at the end about you know the needs we have, which are similar to, for all of us. Um, I mean, since I have been on the field longer, my although I do have needs for my ongoing support, it's not as great as Mark. So if you have money, you could, I'll, I'll <laughs> feel free to give it to him. But um, we are wanting to start projects and plant churches. And I don't know, recently I've been able to be in some churches where Okay. Recently, I've been able to be in churches here in the states where they're trying to raise money for building buildings, you know, and they're multi-million dollars. You know, one I think was twenty-two million, and another one's thirteen million. So this is a real bargain. <laughs> and I I see on their chart they have like okay, one person give a million dollars, one person give five hundred thousand. So here, <laughs> you know. So this is a great opportunity to plant a church in Cuba or in Tijuana, some of the different places. When we do the ones that aren't bivocational, those churches in Mexico cost a little bit more, maybe closer to fifty to $60,000. But um, that's one of the things that I'm working on raising funds for. And so thank you. Thank you.